1: Are you a woman who's ready to excel in her career and her life? Are you ready to be a professional saleswoman by using your inherent qualities? Are you a woman who wants to be better prepared for a leadership position? Then you're in the right place, Selling in a Skirt with Judy Hoberman. It's about women in business, work-life balance, leadership, and current events related to gender communications. Be prepared to be inspired, motivated, and challenged. Selling in a Skirt with Judy Hoberman is your connection to women nationally, internationally, and globally. So get comfy and see what the buzz is all about. Find out more at www.sellinginaskirt.com. Now, your host, Judy Hoberman, on C-Suite Radio.
2: Every week I try and pull from experiences and situations that I've encountered so that our discussion is even more relevant than I anticipated. Many years ago when I was in my insurance days, I was promoted to the position of agency manager or managing partner or whatever the term is today. I was excited and I was nervous at the same time. And I knew what led me to that position. And the truth was, I was leaving behind the very thing I did best, sales. We were heading into an extremely important week that would encourage everyone to sell more than they thought they could. Investors were watching us or a new product was being rolled out or whatever it was at that particular time. Now, my goals for my regional director were huge. And I made the comment that I'll personally write 20 to 25% of it. And he said, why? So I responded because I know I can. And he asked me if it were better for me to write that amount or for my team to do it. So I responded, it would be great for my team to do it, but I know what I can contribute. So he asked the same question again. And now I heard what he was asking me this time. It was my job in this position to create an environment for me to help my team do the work and I would be their cheerleader. My position was to bring out the best in my people. So what's the most important job you have when you're leading others? Is it about the results you'll get, the goals you set, or is it about the people you lead? Now, if you chose draw number three, you would be correct. Richard Wellens co author of the first leadership job, how catalyst leaders bring out the best in others said, As a leader, your focus changes. Your number one priority is to bring out the best in others. In a study done, it was found that 98% of employees who have good leaders are motivated to do their best. Only 11% of employees with ineffective managers felt motivated to give their best. The difference is huge. So being able to bring out the best in others is something that needs to be practiced, reinforced, and used every single day. So here are some best ways to bring out the best in people first is be generous. Give others your time and your energy, something that you can't put a value on. When you give of yourself, people remember it, and they know that you're invested in them and believe in them, even when they may not believe in themselves. Now, women are their own worst critics, so helping them to believe in themselves, know the value they bring, and feel confident about what they're doing is priceless. The second one is Be open-minded. In this crazy and busy world, you might find yourself with people that are nothing like you, what they think, what they do, the way they speak, and more importantly, they catch you overthinking what they're doing. So don't prejudge anyone just because someone has shared their opinion with you. Give everyone the benefit of the doubt and you might be surprised who is the next leader in your pack. The third is be clear. How many times have you said something and the person you're speaking to heard something totally different? So make sure you're clear in your message and that the person you're speaking to understands what the meaning was. You want to empower others to step up and take center stage. It isn't about you when you're leading. So turn that spotlight off you and onto others. The fourth is be persistent. Just like it is in building your career or business, it's the same when you're building up people. It takes time. You have to keep others motivated and focused instead of overwhelmed and frustrated. Never forget some of the changes and challenges that you faced when you started out. I would bet they're the same things that the people on your team are facing. So being persistent goes hand in hand with being generous. Your investment in others will not go unnoticed. And the final one, number five, is be present. This is one of the most important ways to bring out the best in others. This is not the time to be looking down. Pay attention to what and who is around you. There's nothing worse than speaking to someone who's either looking at their phone, their laptop, or something else. Being present is the greatest gift you can give someone. And as a leader, you have so many things that you need and want to accomplish every day. Are you more concerned with your results or with your team's relationships? Sometimes it feels like a balancing act. The balancing act is a tough one, though. So can you be good at both? Do you let one dictate the other? Are you bringing out the best in your people? The truth is that less than 1% of the leaders are rated high in both results and social skills. Perhaps if we're aware of this disconnect, we can do something about it. Who's up for the challenge? And as Harvey Firestone said, you get the best out of others when you give the best of yourself. We're going to take a short break to thank our sponsor, Walking on the Glass Floor. And when we come back, you'll hear from my guest who will share his thoughts about bringing out the best in people by doing his best. This is Selling in a Skirt with Judy Hoberman on C-Suite Radio, and we'll be right back.
1: What happens after shattering the glass ceiling? You're now Walking on the Glass Floor. Walking on the Glass Floor, Seven Essential Qualities for Women Who Lead is a timely and indispensable business guide for all women. Whether you're moving out of a dorm room or moving into an executive suite, Introducing readers to the seven keys to success in business and life, Judy Hoberman brings her fresh voice, sales-savvy, and thoughtful approach to each of the essential and most powerful leadership qualities. Written in her trademark, no-nonsense, glass-half-full prose, Judy's blueprint for business teaches all women how to cultivate and strengthen key skills that will serve them in both business and life. Uncover amazing qualities they already possess that will help them lead and succeed and harness universal leadership qualities to continue reaching their full potential. By providing authentic real-life case studies and inspiring quotes throughout, Judy fills each page with the timely advice women need right now. Walking on the glass floor is like having Judy Hoberman sitting right next to you as your business mentor, personal life coach, and best friend all at the same time. You can order your own copy of the book at walkingontheglassfloor.com.
2: Welcome back to Selling in a Skirt with Judy Hoberman on C-Suite Radio. Well, I am super excited for our special guest this morning, Richard Haynes. Since 1990, he has dedicated his practice to helping unravel the complexities of immigration law for individuals and businesses. Now, immigration laws continue to change, particularly in today's environment, with new agencies and new requirements emerging all the time. So whether you're an individual seeking status in the U.S. or a business looking to employ foreign national workers, he can help by drawing on his years of expertise and experience and specialized knowledge. So welcome to the show, Richard. I am so excited to have you here.
3: Oh, thank you, Judy. It's nice to be here.
2: Awesome. So let's talk about the discussion of the day, bringing out the best in people. What do you think when you hear that?
3: I think a lot of what you had said in your introduction relates to the way it plays out in my practice. I take what I do extremely seriously. I am dedicated to helping clients achieve the goals that they're seeking. And when my staff is around that attitude and gets to see how serious I take the mission, it then becomes an example and a guide to how they will go about their day to day. That. You know, it starts at the top. And I think that from that standpoint, when the leader of the organization takes seriously the mission at hand or the particular project, that is absolutely essential. And success generally will flow from there. So that would be my first thought.
2: So it's really about culture that you are creating because a lot of times we can go into a company and I have myself gone into companies and I'm gung-ho, can't wait to do great things, but the culture is not what aligns with my values. So do you, the, the attorneys that you bring in and everybody that's in your business, do they all understand how important culture is to you and do they all adopt and adapt to it?
3: So in my practice, I have paralegals, legal assistants working with me. I'm the only attorney. Number one, it comes natural to me that what I do, I take seriously and that there's nothing more important in terms of the, the minutes of the day dedicated to my work to getting to accomplish or do everything I can to accomplish my client's goals. And if you have anything other than absolute and total dedication to that end, it really sends the wrong message to the people who are there to support these efforts. And if it doesn't mean a ton to the person who's the face of the company and representative of the company, why should it mean anything or anywhere close to the people who are doing the work to support that? Why should those people feel invested when the person at the helm who's selling the services, that's the face of the company, when that person doesn't give it their all. So there's the appearance of dedication and I'll even call it attempted perfection, but there's the absolute example of how you behave and how your attitude toward helping your client achieve that goal. So I don't know any other way I'm fortunate enough to have chosen a field that really fits my interest where I actually am super motivated every day when it comes to trying to help the people that hire me.
2: Okay, so with that said, you are one of the best, if not the best, experts on immigration law. So why is this such a passion for you?
3: Well, thanks for that conclusion. No, I I will just say that I feel that proud of my reputation and the fact that I've been doing this so long and have amassed a great deal of experience and, and wisdom, both from the successes I've had, mistakes I've made. But why is it such a passion? Well, during the course of my professional path, And learning what uh, occupation might best speak to me, it occurred to me as time went on, especially as I was in law school, actually even before that while I was an undergrad and then going to law school and whatnot, where I could have a human impact, a direct human impact on individuals. And where my skill was mainly that my motivation came from, A, uh, making that positive impact on the world uh, for a cause, for a cause that I deem worthy. And ultimately, when in the realm of immigration law, I found that this is packed with worthy goals. These are packed with people and companies pursuing goals that only are about goodness. That is either coming to this country, staying in this country to be productive, to be contributing uh, members of the society, or if it's a company looking to, to add to the company's ability to do commerce, to, to add to its revenues, to add on really smart and talented or hardworking folks to enhance their bottom line and, and, and in turn, even enhance the culture within their own companies when it comes to having smart, hardworking people added to their workforce.
2: Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So one of the things I want to ask you about is I always say that one of the most important things to know is your people. It could be your team, your clients, your colleagues. You say also that you need to know your audience. So tell us what that looks like through the eyes of Richard Haynes.
3: The leader who is not cognizant of the motivations of their audience is a fool in the regard that not every audience Uh, here's the same message the same way. And so if it's a client, it's important that I as their lawyer or prospective lawyer speak in terms that are sensitive to their needs. Why is this client coming to me? Why does this client want to spend their time talking to me? Do they want to hear me sit and brag about myself? Do they want to hear me talk about past successes? Uh, Maybe to some degree, but they want to hear how is it that I'm going to put what I know to work for them? with employees how is it that i can go and get the best out of my employees really is all about getting them on board with the mission that is my mission and that is look the more success that i achieve as my client's lawyer the better it is for our firm the better it is for our culture and ultimately i think my employees have to have similar kind of interests as i do and care as much as I do about achieving client goals, striving for, for, for perfection. And I think that it's about caring. So letting your audience know that you're sensitive to their needs, and whether it's your clients, that you care, and that you're uh, not just going about motions, and that for your employees, for example, that you are someone dedicated to the mission of a company that they're working for. And ultimately, Speaking respectfully to your clients, to your staff, and I think very direct to whatever it is that their ultimate tasks are.
2: Well, you said something, well, you say a lot of things that are interesting, but you said something that really struck a chord with me about care. And I think that in many industries, in many professions, we've lost that little tiny word of caring. You know, Even in, in healthcare, we've lost caring, in you know, financial, in legal we've lost the caring aspect. How do we get that back, you know, into into showing people that we truly do care? You know, it's great that you and I are talking about caring. How do we get that message out about care? Because it's so important. It shows the passion. It shows the, the reason that we do what we do every day.
3: Well, your question actually is also a question as to, have I thought about expanding my practice beyond the smaller shop that it is and i certainly thought about it i think it's there's all kinds of opportunity out there but i think that one of the biggest obstacles toward communicating your caring attitude to a potential client or an obstacle for an employee to actually find their caring voice is that we've gotten so big companies are getting so big things have gotten impersonal and i think that You know, the bigger the companies are, the bigger the challenge in trying to communicate that care. If you're a big company, how is it that you can go and bring an employee to be a representative of that company and communicate in a caring way? It's got to be a huge challenge because there's so many moving parts to these large organizations. I know that with how I operate my business, that I do it in a very efficient and in a very streamlined fashion. And I know that what's on the line is a ton when it comes to each client. It's not as if there are many departments and you know lots of room to pass the buck, that the impact of my success or failures or mistakes is immediate and obvious. So I know that the smaller an organization is, and this is the upside of working with a smaller organization, I think the more accountability and, and consequence there is, by the people who are going to be providing the service. When it comes to a larger industry, larger organizations, I think that's probably one of the biggest struggles that corporate managers and trainers have, is that how is it that we get so many of these variables and these small little parts to come together and care when there are so many different ways that their achievements and their caring could be sabotaged by other aspects of the company's shortcomings. I think that in the end, when it's a smaller, sleeker organization, I think there's just less room to not care.
2: Mm, that's, that's true. That's a very interesting way to think about it. So your area of expertise is not always the easiest. There's many rules and laws and regulations that change on a daily basis. It's not the most popular and it's probably not the most lucrative financially. So we all talk about choosing a niche. Why choose a niche that may not always be on the winning side? Is it really because of the the care that you have or, you know, fighting for the underdog? What is it that makes this niche so important to you that you're doing such a tremendous job in it?
3: Well, it's an it's a great question. And the way you frame it is, if we're, we're true capitalists and that the only thing that's going to motivate us and guide our choices as professionals is money, certainly choosing a path that will not yield the most money doesn't make sense. However, we're not just robots. We're mm-hmm. all individuals that, with different sensitivities and different things that strike our chords. And in this case, I had become familiar with this area of law because I had known others who had practiced in it. However, when I started, it was not at all seen as anything that an accomplished lawyer might even want to pursue, or at least prestigious in any way. But part of that interested me. You know, I'm, I've always been drawn to the things that maybe the less typical path. I knew that I wanted a forum in which I can maybe start my own practice. I was very much into the idea of working for myself. And in terms of helping others, I think that, you know, helping others and uh, having a human impact, these are, it's not a mutually exclusive pursuit than making money that I knew there was a, a way one could make money, albeit there are many other ways to make more money. The problem is I just wasn't as interested in these areas of law. And when you're not interested and it's not something that you really like doing, the worst thing I think that person can do is get good at something they don't really like. So I made it my mission to find something I like or it seems interesting and then get really good at it. And then I felt everything else can come together because the way I see it, I think that if you're really good as a lawyer, or let's, you know, fill in the blank any profession, you will succeed and you will make a very good living at it. No matter how many other people are trying to do this, because at the end, excellence will show and your passions will show. And in this case, even though it isn't the most lucrative field, it is a field where I felt that the dividend was enough both from a financial side and as well as just a a professional satisfaction side for me to make the choice to go into this field.
2: You know, it's interesting that you say that because when I went into insurance, I did not go in because all you heard was, oh, there's so much money in insurance and whatever. I went in because I felt that I could make a difference and I could protect people and I could, you know, do the things that were important and be recognized as somebody that did it for that reason, as opposed to because you're doing it for the money. And because I did just what you're saying, I got really good at it. I got to be the expert in it. I did really well in it. But when you go in for the money first, it generally does not work out the way you think it's going
3: to. And exactly. And in fact, I say that if you become an immigration lawyer, because you think you can make a lot of money, and you can make a fine living at it, and I I have no complaints, I am appreciative of the dividends of my efforts. But if your main motivation is the money, you will not be a good immigration lawyer. If your motivation is to be a good immigration lawyer, the money then will come. And I think that is your story reflects, you know, here, insurance, that you have uh, you care about you, you know the service or product you're providing and i think that it seems like that the caring part of it or that you are interested actually in the substance of the field is the, the foundation of any successful path so i think that you and i are on exactly the same page in that regard
2: Awesome. So I have friends that have been attorneys that started out in family law and found it to be more destructive than constructive. And they moved to other areas to concentrate on. You've been in this field for over two decades. Did you ever feel like you were constantly, you know, running uphill, pushing a giant boulder until you got to the point where it was more acceptable by, you know, because we think about what other people think about us also. We do, even though we don't want to always admit it. Did you ever feel like, oh my goodness, it's like such a hard road to push? And then all of a sudden, like it happens.
3: You know, it's interesting. I'm lucky enough not to have become either bored or dissatisfied. And in fact, the work I get to do is so interesting. And mind you, I do get to see a lot of victories, I get to see a lot of impact. And whether the client is an individual or a company, I see things work out really nice. The positive result that I see is just as important as the check I get for my services. Those are the things that keep me going. I think that the system itself and the players in it, whether it's individual officers within these uh, government agencies or judges, I think people are trying to do their job well. Most of the people you know, making decisions on behalf of the government are good people. And everybody's trying to navigate all the different variables at play And my job is to navigate all the variables that are going to put my client's best interests forward. And with all of these things going on and my being able to amass the number of years experience I've had and put it to use, it's just absolutely gratifying. And I've, to this point, not thought for a moment of turning back and changing course. And I'm very lucky in that regard because people get burnt out. And especially in today's environment, with so many things shaking up our immigration law system, and a lot of the noise and the heavy messages, not only is one more vulnerable to getting burnt out, but it actually, the job of an immigration lawyer has never been more important in terms of you know, helping companies and individuals through such thick and high obstacles.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I imagine that every day is different for you because every day is different in, the, you know, in this world. So you say that there's three essential qualities an immigration lawyer should possess. Creativity, sensitivity, and diligence. Why are these so important, especially for an immigration lawyer?
3: Let's start with the sensitivity part in the regard that I think it goes to the message of understanding your client's needs, understanding, and it goes to, of course, your own organization. But sensitivity is to understand what is the client's needs and getting a grasp of your client's point of view and needs will then dictate so much of the next steps. It dictates how you talk to the client. It dictates the way you message Or the way you try to advance their goals. So you have a complete grasp of what they're trying to accomplish. Creativity is there are so many laws that are available to possibly help your client achieve their goal. You have to be able to think out of the box, you have to be able to problem solve, and creativity is absolutely essential. And then the third is diligence. I think in any field, no matter what work we do, giving up or giving into discouragement is not an option. And the only response is diligence. And if you care, you know, again, the diligence, I think, is a natural flow from caring. And it's a natural flow from commitment to excellence. So you can probably fill in a dozen other important qualities. But those three, I think, represent, I think, the imperatives for a successful immigration lawyer. And I think that you can even apply it to any organization.
2: Well, I think that those three are definitely great qualities to have, whether you're an immigration lawyer or not, but especially, uh, you know, the sensitivity portion of it. I I think all three are really, really important. Okay, but now I have to brag about you because I know you're not going to do this yourself. So you've been chosen as the 2019 super lawyer in the field of immigration law. I mean, congratulations, that's a prestigious honor. So what does that mean to you and your clients? And let's take a moment and really
3: celebrate that. Well, (laughs) all I could say is is that if you receive the accolades in honor of your peers and people that have voted, um, whether it's clients or other lawyers, to acknowledge that you're, you've accomplished something. I mean, of course, it's gratifying and it's wonderful. I, you know, The most satisfaction I get, as I said, is by virtue of helping the clients achieve their goals. It is knowing that I'm putting in my all. And as far as awards or accolades, Listen. I think that it's nice that I can include that on my website. I think it gives clients confidence that hey, this person that I'm hiring, look, he's been acknowledged to be someone who's accomplished and someone who's maybe worthy of trust. So I try to put it to use in in a way that is uh, you know measured, not over the top, and of course not let it get me in a complacent zone. Because the moment you start resting on your accolades too much is the moment you I think stop pursuing the kind of excellence that's needed to to be successful.
2: Yeah, but you have to give yourself a moment to celebrate because this is awesome. And you know, you've been voted that this is this is the title you're given. So at least give yourself a minute, that's all. That's oh,
3: thank, thank you, Judy.
2: <laughs> okay, and yeah, I love your quote. You said, nothing is rocket science other than rocket science. What does that mean? It made me laugh when I read it because I get it and I'm not sure if everybody else will get it. So tell us what it means to you.
3: So I typically will use this as a way of explaining to people why and how they should hire me. Could a uh, person change their own oil on their, you know, in their cars? Could a person figure out to do their own residential real estate closing? Could a person figure out how to fix their roof? You know, all of these things are learnable and knowable. And, you know, the question is when and how should somebody go through the trouble of spending money on a professional? and you know it's my way of sort of saying listen it's not that what i'm doing is so involves miracles or off the charts intelligence it involves me having been in the field working in the trenches and applying that which what i've learned to your benefit and that you know ultimately if you want to be an immigration lawyer and of course some cases there's no way you should a person should mess with it or a company Manager should mess with the issue, but there are times where people can try to navigate on their own. And if somebody wants to know, well, why can't I do this on my own? Or why are you worthy of this fee? I start out by saying nothing's rocket science other than rocket science. It's just that I have a deep and a wide knowledge of this field. This has all been gained over 28 years worth of experience. So Maybe it's my way of taking a little edge off the bragging about my experience, that my experience and my wisdom is gained by virtue of this kind of long history in the field and not some rocket science type intelligence.
2: Yes. Okay. So I don't want anybody to think that when they connect with you, they're going to be getting a rocket scientist. So how can people connect with you and find the super lawyer for immigration?
3: First of all, I'm not the only super lawyer, but thank you. I am among the super lawyers is this wonderful organization. So, okay, moving right along. My best way to reach me is you can go to my website. It's USA Visa Council. So USA Visa and then Council spelled like a lawyer, C-O-U-N-S like Sam, E-L.com. You can Google Richard Haynes, H-A-N-U-S. You can call me at 312-357-0033. And any one of those avenues will be ways that I can be contacted, answer questions, entertain projects that you might have in mind.
2: Awesome. So what would you want to leave our listeners with today?
3: Well, I think that as a professional in my field and having done what I've been doing for 28 years, I'm really lucky that I have been able to stay interested and stay focused. And when it comes to needing somebody, As a consumer of an immigration lawyer, whether it's a business or an individual, I think that calling someone with the kind of experience, the kind of exclusive focus on that field is the best decision for you as a consumer of an immigration law service. And I'm grateful that I'm in the position to be the best lawyer that a client can ask for, that I'm going to do as good of a job as any other lawyer, and that I can try to apply all the lessons that I've learned and all the experience I've had and give me a ring. I'm here to help.
2: Awesome. Richard, thank you so much for sharing the mic with me. You are doing amazing work. I'm excited to be connected and stay connected and look forward to creating adventures together.
3: Thanks, Judy. Nice to speak with you and I appreciate you having me on.
2: Thank you. And I want to leave everyone with this quote by Richard Branson. As a leader of people, you have to be a great listener, a great motivator, be very good at praising and bringing out the best in people. I thank you all for listening to our discussion today where we share some extraordinary guests, some ideas for your business and ways to stand out as the amazing women that you are. And make sure you stay connected with us. And remember, women wanna be treated equally, not identically. Until next time, this is Selling in a Skirt with Judy Hoberman on C-Suite Radio.
3: like what you just heard visit c com. c-suite radio turning the volume up on business this podcast is a part of the c-suite radio network for more top business podcasts visit c dot